witticism. Colloquialism. Segway. You're such an egotist. Yes. By the way, guys, I'm really humble. Well, how do you do? Now when you get for free. Oh, God, it's awful. Bad Philosophy, episode 148, recorded on January 12th, 2014. Perfect Tommy Pickleseed. Hello, everyone. Welcome in one to Bad Philosophy. I'm your host, Stephen Torrance, and we are back for another episode. And I am I am particularly excited about today. So excited that um, I, I'm like my body is is forcing myself to be in a condition where I can't talk as much. Um, I the cedar pollen is just it's trying to mate with me and that's like that battle is happening in my nasal passages and and i think i'm losing so either i'm going to become a cedar tree or <laughs> i want to see this cedar human hybrid that's that... <laughs> gotta be awesome <laughs> well it, it give it a few more days they're certainly trying very very hard um but that voice you hear in the background ladies and gentlemen is one one of my favorite people in the world uh dr mark webb welcome back to bad philosophy <laughs> Thank you. It is always my pleasure to be here. And, you know, you're one of my favorite people, too. Cool. Let's um, keep it to where we don't say how many favorite people we have so that we <laughs> yeah, can... Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you're in the top 300. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, and then another one of my favorite people in the world, but uh, way more recent uh, friends, is uh, Sebastian Benkowski is also joining us here on his verse, Bad Philosophy. Thank you, Stephen. Yes, it's yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a great pleasure to be here. Mm. So we we have a little bit of a tradition. It, it used to be used to be very tongue in cheek of me to say it as as um, tell us who you are and why we should care about you. Um, it's kind of off putting, I suppose, but because it's tradition, I'm going to mm -hmm. enforce it anyway. Um, and why we should care about you, you can really answer that however you feel like. So sure. it, it doesn't really have to answer that question. Huh. So who are you, Sebastian? Who am I? And um, why? <laughs> well, there, <laughs> who am I and why? Whoa. <laughs> that, that, uh, let's see. Um, well, uh, let, let me call myself um, a shaman, a dancer, a storyteller, a teacher, uh, and many other things. But all right, let's, let's start with that. And why anyone should care? Um, I don't know. That's really up to them. Um, I'm kind of content just <laughs> being so. what I am <laughs> without anyone... <laughs> Uh, noticing or uh, uh, too much. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of... All right, let's go with that. Okay. And see what happens. Let's, let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. we, we came into this episode, as, as we do in, in many episodes of Bad Philosophy, with a, a vague agenda. Um, but it's going to be something about Buddhism. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, uh -huh. we, which both you and Dr. Webb have, have done a lot of, but potentially different kinds of work mm -hmm. on yes and that's why that's why i was interested uh to to speak with uh, mm -hmm. with dr webb because um i kind of stumbled into buddhism um just very very randomly mm -hmm. um and i think my take on buddhism is also informed by my interest in shamanism and ecstatic dance and and various other things and so speaking with someone who's probably engaged with Buddhism and understands Buddhism from a different point of view, I think it's always is always really fascinating. Hmm. Um, okay. And and I think I think, Dr. Webb, the way that 
and actually, no, let, let me let me back up. Um, how did you uh, <laughs> get into Buddhism or Buddhist philosophy? Like, what, what was what was that path? Well, my path into it was also sort of random and uh, strange and unexpected. Um, <clears throat> I did my work, my graduate work in philosophy of religion, which uh, in the Anglo-American tradition is always Judeo-Christian philosophical mm -hmm. theology. That's mm -hmm. that's the only problems that matter, apparently. Right. Um, but uh, once I got out of there and got jobs, people wanted me to teach other courses. And so I got to teach a world religions course in North Carolina. And I became fascinated then with just religions as a phenomenon. And I had, for a long time, I had this... Um, this thing that happens to medical students, you know, I, I, whatever mm -hmm. disease you're studying, you, you go, oh, my God, I've got all those symptoms. Mm -hmm. So I was, you know, a Taoist that once and a Hindu once, and, you know, I basically felt like I had everything. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, Buddhism is the one that stuck. Mm. Okay, sure. <laughs> hmm. uh, I sort of got to teach uh, Asian philosophy here at Texas Tech because the guy who did that quit. Uh, and somebody had to do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's not like I've sort of backed into it in all mm -hmm. these sort of weird mm -hmm. ways. But it's it's the only uh, religion and school of philosophy uh, that I've really found plausible after all this time. You know, the more I learn about the others, the more I think, uh, I can't do that. <laughs> but. Mm -hmm. Buddhism is the one where I thought it still makes sense. The more I learn about it, the more I think it still makes sense. Huh. And I like the values. I like the metaphysics. I like the life that they recommend. Mm -hmm. uh, as with everything else, there's uh, bits of it that I'm not crazy about, that I have trouble embracing and, frankly, don't embrace. <laughs> but... Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Buddhists are, you know, a little more lighthearted about that than others, too. So nobody's going to burn me at the stake for being a heretical Buddhist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really nice that they don't do that anymore. Um, <laughs> was there ever a time when, when mm -hmm. there, there was heretical well, Buddhism? Not, and, not Buddhism. Or, okay, well, of yeah. course, of course there was heretical. I mean, there, there still is, I'm sure. Yeah. But the, really? the debates, I think, are different and, you know, involve fewer like burnings and and, uh, and okay. torches i think than mm -hmm. than with christianity or other it's nice They're, that like on the internet nowadays flame war is is a metaphor and not right right a lot less <laughs> well i mean there, there have this is something i was surprised to learn there have been in history in various places including not not too long ago in sri lanka uh, Buddhists who used their Buddhism to justify all kinds of violence and terrorism mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. horror. Um, yeah. The Zen establishment in World mm -hmm. War II was behind right, the right, emperor. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, it's possible to be a crazy anything, apparently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that yeah, Buddhism, Buddhism is definitely not immune to, <laughs> yeah. to things right. like that. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. and but in those cases, would you say that the the extremism and the violence and such even though they were perpetrated by so-called Buddhists or self-described Buddhists, does that make those elements Buddhist, right? Just just the same as in Islam, right? If those were acts, acts of terrorism, for instance, don't make all Islamists terrorists or, you know, anyone mm -hmm. who follows that, right? So okay. it's... Um, yeah, is there, it... there is a difference, I think, um, in that, you know, if you, if you push... Uh, you know, the, the uh, Haredi uh, in Israel, 
mm-hmm. can find resources in Torah for treating people badly. Sure. Uh, Christians <laughs> can find resources in the Bible for treating people badly. Um, and of course, you know, there's, I think this may get me in trouble, but I think there's actually more resources in the Quran for that sort of thing too. So it's uh, a little easy. Gotcha. Uh, but uh, there, there just isn't anything in the Buddhist scriptures for that. So it's not, the difference is they're Buddhists doing this, but the, it's really hard for them to find a Buddhist reason for, yeah. for being. Uh, <laughs> right. For right. sure. But there was, you know, there was a head of the Sangha in Sri Lanka who was actually arguing in an editorial in the paper uh, that it does not violate the first precept to kill a Hindu. Wait, what? Are you saying not sentient? I mean, what? what? <laughs> what? So, yeah. <laughs> the first, what is the first Things precept? Uh, do no harm to a living thing. Oh, uh, <laughs> right. So apparently had... Hindus are not living things. Right. So. Oh, oh, I see. Hmm. <laughs> Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't count as harm or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That, that goes along with a lot of the the justifications for violence historically, right? Is you you sort of dehumanize your your mm-hmm. enemy in in some aspect. You know, they're animals. You know, they they've forfeited civilized practice or whatever, and therefore they had they 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 don't deserve the benefits of of uh, being treated like a civilized person anymore or something like that. Right, um, right. We can't communicate with them. We can't understand yeah. them. Can't understand us. They're like the bugs in Ender's Game. You right. Know, just, they might as well just. Them. <laughs> well, on, on the other side of things, I guess then it it is more about more about practice than in in some places, or the the proscriptions mm. for practice in Buddhism seem vague enough that there are a lot of ways of coming at it. Right? Maybe not the violent oh, ways. You know, it's less mm-hmm. it's less plausible there, but. Um, I say that as a segue for basically just like asking Sebastian a little bit more of like how, how mm-hmm. you came into all of this um, through dance and through shamanism. I mean, those, uh-huh, those uh-huh. seem very And actually those, those came later. Uh, Buddhism, uh, at least Zen Buddhism, uh, was, uh, was first. But I came into it um, through practice versus through theory. That's okay. why I think I would, uh, I'd like to ask uh, uh, Dr. Webb, um, I... Mm, I actually haven't read very much of the of the Buddhist classics of the uh, of the various uh, uh, sutras. Um, at, I started practicing at the Austin Zen Center, uh, where the basic idea was um, um, shikantaza, uh, just sit, yeah, and yeah. and it was uh, um, and what uh, what Suzuki Roshi, uh, who was the guy who brought uh, Zen Buddhism to uh, to America, uh, his basic idea was. Um, beginner's mind so don't don't occupy yourself too much with the with the theory with the scriptures with the etc etc all of that Mm -hmm. all of that baggage um but just experience your own mind um and Mm -hmm. uh and sit and see what happens uh you know see what comes up uh in the mind and uh and for me meditation is um kind of there's a there's a twofold um a purpose to it um you know, when I sit and face a wall uh, for 40 minutes or 30 minutes or however long, um, I, I use that time to just kind of see what's actually moving in my mind, what's mm. actually there, all the stuff that I usually don't notice because I'm too busy thinking of the next thing I'm going to say or, you know, listening or looking or, you know, trying to avoid the, the oncoming uh, traffic or, or whatever else. <laughs> uh, but there, since there's nothing else but just the wall, so for me, it's a very practical 
uh, uh, practice because um, I have no other distractions and I simply see what's, uh, uh, what's there. And then the other thing for me uh, with meditation is um, it's a good um, uh, time to, to practice uh, kind of not, not having any judgment about what's there. And so for me, uh, you know, simply saying, ah, uh, now this, uh, now this, now mm-hmm. this. And that seems to me a, a very uh, Zen practice, at least because um, all of the Zen people seem to um, seem to suggest that that's uh, what, what meditation is. Um, but I think in, the, in my experience with uh, Zen Buddhism here in Austin, um, the practices of meditation... Are much more emphasized than the than the theory uh, than um, you know what the Buddha actually taught you know trying to and so that's that's why I'm why I'm interested um, mm-hmm. to kind of uh, to to talk to someone like like you Dr. Webb uh, because I imagine that you have much more background on the on the theory on the scriptures on um, on all of that and so I'm I'm curious um, kind of your you know what what first interested you about buddhism and what's um and do, and do you think that has like do you think that that in, initial interest changed as you like read more like mm-hmm. did you did you get into you said you were you were hindu once was that sort of before well, well. I was a little <laughs> a little facetious i mm-hmm. i found hinduism very attractive i never actually sort of bought into that one okay mm-hmm. <laughs> but i did call myself a taoist for a while you know okay because it's, I mean, I mean it's relatively. There's a low barrier to entry, right? Like, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's that's one of the things that's attractive. Is that you know? Uh, but I, what I, was the entry in for you? It was was it actually through theory, or or I mean, how much have you been involved in in like? In well, Zazen I started. Or... You know, I started studying. You know, the hi- history and mm-hmm. practice, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, doctrine developments. Of doctrine came along with that, mm-hmm. and what I found most attractive was this idea of sort of putting compassion front and center in the virtues for mm-hmm. one thing mm-hmm. uh and also this idea that practice is more important than theory so i mean mm-hmm. i think that's just what you're saying mm-hmm. uh it, it got to me too I, I see the same thing in judaism right it's a lot less important what you believe than what you do mm-hmm. though there are some things you really if you don't believe them yeah, your ship is suspect or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a bit uh, higher intellectual overhead, I think, in, in Judaism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bit, yeah. <laughs> Buddhism has a very low buy-in cost. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Exactly. Uh, and so, uh, and you know, you see as the uh, as the thing develops, like Christianity, you know, it's it's burgeoned into a thousand sects all mm-hmm. over the world mm-hmm. with different emphases and whatnot. Um, and and Zen is the one that's sort of most practice oriented and most practical, mm-hmm. and very suspicious of theory. Mm-hmm. But that stuff goes back to the to the earliest uh, uh, Pali scriptures. The Buddha himself warned against getting caught up in views, getting tangled up in a jungle of views. It's not mm-hmm. important. It doesn't help. Don't worry about these questions. And of course, here I am, a philosopher, <laughs> worried about. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and it's also the idea of of um, getting attached to you know, your own thoughts. Mm-hmm. One of the things I've always thought was interesting in the very earliest meditation handbooks in in uh, Theravada Buddhism, they say one of the very first 
defilements, they actually call it a defilement, mm -hmm. that you get rid of as you purify your mind through practice of meditation. Mm -hmm. One of the very first defilements you give up is attachment to rules. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like mm -hmm. they, they say, okay, now here are all the rules, mm -hmm. and they're important. But the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to get attached to them, and then you have to let that go. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Like the story of the the you know the two Zen monks that are traveling, and they, uh, Sebastian, you probably know this story. They're they're traveling down the road, and there's a place where the road's washed out, and there's a woman mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to get to the other side, mm -hmm. and the older monk just picks her up and carries her across, <laughs> and then and the younger monk is stewing about that for like the next mile down the road, and finally says, "Don't you know we're not supposed to touch women? How could you have done that?" And he says. I put her down back there. Why are you still carrying her? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> huh. It's just sort of like, well, they're more like guidelines, you know. Just, <laughs> yeah. Here, you know, the, the, the guiding rule was, you know, don't be a dick or something like that. Which is right. Well, it's, it's sort of <laughs> that, that implies that there are meta rules, right? That there's sort of a, a higher principle that you're adhering to but but to call like non-attachment a rule maybe seems seems wrong right right i mean there's a trap there you can yeah. get attached to too, right yeah uh, and you know if you, you look at the history of uh like you know the the heroes in in tibet and in thailand and places mm -hmm. like that the stories about the really heroic buddhist leaders they do things like um well, there was a, there was a fam this is very recent I think there was a monastery that was infested with fleas, uh -huh. and they're trying to figure out how to deal with that because they can't kill the fleas. That's mm -hmm. that's a no no. Uh, but they also can't get on. I, I guess it would be a, a you know, real good practice for insight meditation to try to practice while you've got fleas all over you. But <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> that's high level stuff. Uh, finally, yeah. the leader of the monastery said, "You know what?" Screw it! I'm calling in an exterminator, and I will take the karma for that on myself. Mm. Huh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, there's two things there. You can violate the rule when there's a good reason, but the karma is still coming. You still have to accept mm. the consequences. Right. Yeah. Right. You don't mm -hmm. escape the consequences. And so, you know, there are cases of really advanced uh, uh, bodhisattvas assassinating people. Mm -hmm. huh. uh, bad to think that way, right? Don't think of that as an option for most people, but he could see he was saving that guy from bad karma, hmm. even though he took some bad karma on himself. Well, it isn't, mm -hmm. it, so in a way, though, <laughs> I, I feel like that is, that is sort of a slippery slope, right? It, because you're, you're oh, yeah. sort of contributing back to the imbalances and the and the attachments of the world, right? And, and deliberately mm -hmm. so, right? Um, yep. I mean, I guess... Well, you know, it is sort of a greater good argument, right? It is well, we'll save the temple well, and all the of the thing, things right? we have here. It's like you're attached to the temple and the specific situation. There are fleas and all of that. I mean, one option might be to just leave that place, right, and like go somewhere right, where right. there aren't fleas anymore or something. Build, you know, build another one. Say fleas. Yeah. You can have this one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. But so yeah, uh, I mean, there's this temptation, right, to try to make it fit into this uh, consistent system of rules. But I think. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's the very, the very thing that mm -hmm. uh, is the trap. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. Is it utilitarian? Well, kind of, yeah. sort of. 
Uh, well, I guess that, that's where where some of my my questions about all this come in, and this this came up the other day actually when when we were talking about um, the Zen Center and and the the rules that they have there for bowing and for for how you do X Y and Z, and I'm like, well, it, and and I and I brought up the question of the attachment to rules, right? Is is that doesn't that seem a little bit self-contradictory and maybe the answer is moo you know right that that maybe it isn't po- important to think about contradictions right because that's that is also like a, an attachment in the the system of interconnections and not the dissipation of them all right mm-hmm. um right right the, the, the very raising of the question shows that you're in the wrong place right mm-hmm. so we right. have to move you out of that place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're of course referring to a very old inside joke I, I, do you remember exactly how that th- that was a story in the curriculum right was was the oh, one yeah yeah yeah, that... it's one of the. It's a very famous koan. Sebastian probably knows yeah. this better now. Uh, the that um, the the question is, does a dog have Buddha nature? Mm. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. and you might say, well, obviously everything has Buddha nature. Yes, of course. Or you might say, well, I mean, dogs don't have it, especially. I mean, dog, and, mm-hmm. but either way, you know, by pursuing that question, you're already on the wrong path, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So the master says to the guy who asks the question. Oh no! Poor kitty. Blow the guy's hair back and yeah, say, right. "Shut up, man! Bad mm-hmm. question." Yeah, mm-hmm. there is an answer probably, but well, it's like a, it's like a mental degaussing he oh, mm-hmm. he gave mm-hmm. him or something, right. you know, yes, exactly. <laughs> <Right>? yes. <laughs> sort of a you know, stick, right? Yeah, and I think I think the. At least the the people at the Austin Zen Center, when I started practicing, mm-hmm. uh, were exactly like that. Hmm. Uh, you know, whenever I would bring up uh, questions like that, or like, well, you know, the, I I experienced this, or I saw this, or like the wall dissolved in front of me, and you know, all they would ask is, uh, well, uh, did did the wall come back? And I said yes, and they're like, well, that's fine then, that's good, just keep sitting. And, like they, they they would not like entertain my my my. You know, my, my ideas, my Your drama, visions my and visions yeah. and all of that. They were oh. just kind of like, okay, you know, that's another thing um, that, that you yeah. experience. Yeah. Just sit with that and don't worry about it. Huh. Um, right. It's not going to hurt you. Uh, just keep sitting, uh, you know, or, or, yeah. or as they like to say, um, come back next time. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and give us to, money. Well, well no, they don't really. Do no, they ask for donations? They do ask for donations, but they don't but ask how? very... Um, yeah, I, I can never find the basket for donations there. It's it's really wonderful. It's like they it's like they they, they ask for it, but then they but then they like hide it. Uh, it's it's really great. Um, that's and, a sign uh, of the deal, if you ask me. That's sign a, of what? It's that's the real deal. If there's oh, a, yeah. a donation box, turn around and leave and go somewhere else. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yes, yes. And so uh, you know, at, at at first I was really. Uh, you know, it was interesting because I'm like, well, your retention rate can't be very high if you don't, uh, you know, if if you don't want to kind of engage people in their in their drama and all of their questions. Yeah. Um, and they're like, well, yeah, the people the people who are ready for this like do actually come back, and mm-hmm. the people who aren't yet ready like they go somewhere else and they get their answers, uh, you know, different sorts of answers. They get their questions, uh, you know. Uh, 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 looked at in more detail and they kind of do the whole uh, you know philosophical thing and then when they're ready just to sit mm-hmm. and to and to throw the questions yeah. away then they come back here and uh, they're you know they're like well we'll we'll be here 
Uh, whenever, yeah. whenever people, <laughs> whenever these people are ready to just come and just sit. Yeah, uh, I like that. It's yeah. like it's like just sitting is very hard and and very easy at mm -hmm. the same time. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, it, uh, you know, you, you let the, you observe what's going on in your mind and not latch on to things. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, when I try to do that, I last you know fifteen seconds mm -hmm. um, before right, I'm really? facing yeah. some fear about the future or you know mm -hmm, some mm -hmm. planning or something. Um, Have you ever done extended periods where where sitting was part of your practice? No. Hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not very good at practice. I'm trying to find. You know, everything that I, uh, you know, I hear from teachers, this mm -hmm. is the simplest thing, start here. Mm -hmm. I try that, it's too hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm mm -hmm. still looking for, you know, the real beginner thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, are there, it's interesting, because it, this ties in with a, an episode of, of PBS Idea Channel that, that came up recently. Um, I don't know if y'all are familiar. Real briefly, uh, they say, you know, here's an idea the doctor who is a religion and then we'll just sort of like flesh out a you know <laughs> all the consequences of that and it's very brief philosophical commentary socio-political mostly cult pop cultural but recently there was a here's an idea uh bullet hell games where you are like a tiny ship or a tiny person and then there's just a fleet of things coming at you you know just thousands and thousands of bullets and ships and all that and you have to fight this entire army and navigate perfectly through this onslaught mm -hmm. bullet hell games are a form of meditation and there was a bit of a controversy that came up as people sort of were like, well, meditation is really about the quieting that we've been talking about. It's, it's sort of letting, mm -hmm. letting everything else fall away and, and noticing how your, your thoughts move. Mm -hmm. But that in a way, the, the kind of trance you get into or the flow that you get into in a bullet hell game or in many kinds of video games or in sports is a turning off of those sort of, you know, the, it's tough not to use Freudian terms, but like the higher level functions, right? That we we yeah. have that distinction between you know the busyness of the mind of the superego or whatever, and the sort of lower level things, and mm -hmm. and that um, that video games could be meditative in some sense. So I'm like curious if, mm. for instance, in fencing, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. you fence Dr. Webb, if that's like a meditative experience for you, or if there are like other flow states that you find, it mm. can be. It can when it clicks, mm -hmm. when it goes well. It's like I'm an observer in my own body, but that's mm -hmm. really rare because I suck, basically. <laughs> but uh -huh. but <clears throat> um, I, the place I find it more frequently is in music. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. when I can remember when I first played guitar and I was trying to, you know, looking at my fingers, trying to make them go in the right place, and it was all very conscious all the time. And, mm -hmm. and then you get to a point where you pick up the guitar and you play and it may not be great but and it's not like you're somewhere else it's not like it's automatic mm. you're there in every moment and you're doing it but somehow it's just flowing from moment to moment mm -hmm. and that strikes me as a very sort of meditative mm -hmm. kind of state mm -hmm. um, i don't yeah. Does and, does and that happen you, after after? I'm just really curious about that. Is that is that after practice or is that a a virtuosic play? I think it, it follows from practice. Okay. Um, and so I mean the same with fencing, right? You, you drill, drill, drill all yeah. these little phrases and things, and then 
And then when it comes time to put them all together, you don't have to think anymore. Because mm-hmm. if you're thinking about it, you're too slow. Right. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You're going to get hit. And for me, um, when, when you said flow experiences, the first thing I thought of was ecstatic dance. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, kind of how, mm-hmm. how, that, how that relates to this. Because you do lose yourself. It's just the music. And in ecstatic dance, you allow your body to move as it wants to move in relation to the music and the mm. the mind has very little to do with it and you kind of as as you were saying dr Reb, you kind of become a uh, a spectator of your own of your own body and you're like oh that's how my body wants to move to this music because there are no rules there are no uh, no no dance moves you know it's not a specific type of dance it's completely free form and so um that but i'm i'm sort of thinking about it is that is that meditative that's meditative in a way but it's a different kind of uh, meditative state than uh than sitting in meditation mm-hmm. although i think freeform dance um you're cultivating a certain skill that comes in very handy when you're sitting in meditation as in this kind of like stepping back and letting yeah. and letting go um and I, then when you sit in meditation you're like oh uh, I've I've practiced this this skill of just stepping back from whatever is going on in my mind mm-hmm. uh, in in freeform dance. So so for me the two um, the two practices are um, are complementary. I think uh, it sounds very similar. Yeah, it mm-hmm. sounds like the, the key there is to is to resist the urge to do something. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's not yeah. it's not a doing so much as a. And that's why it's easy and hard, right? If you mm-hmm. can, because mm-hmm. what can be easier than not doing? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> because we have this habit, you know, of, of wanting to interfere and wanting mm-hmm. to take control. And, I, I, the uh, metaphor what came up. And, what, what's that? Wu Wei. Wu Wei. And then, great segue, because like the the metaphor that came up to me, and this is probably a remix of other things I've heard elsewhere, was um, the idea that. So you've got a mountain and you've got a river and in just sitting you're the mountain and you're watching the river and in a mm. flow state mm-hmm. you're the river <laughs> mm-hmm. flowing among the the pattern of of the land or the mountain right and it's just sort of it's come it's it's the same environment right but you're embodying like two different pieces of it right i, I don't know mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is just one I'm sure there's there's a way that that metaphor can be more deeply fleshed out, but mm-hmm. well, no, and the metaphor of the of the river, I think, uh, is is useful in meditation too. Sometimes, mm. sometimes in meditation, like you are the river, or you're observing the river, or right. no, really, you are the you are the river, um, and yeah, the mountain. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, both both metaphors, I think, are 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 useful. Yeah, but yeah, you you get to a point where you're like, yes, that metaphor and that metaphor, and there are plenty of others and then you're just like okay sure yeah putting that away so I'm another idea yeah <laughs> right. it's not oh certainly not the yeah. metaphor right. Yeah. Right. Right. yeah 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 it reminds me though that uh, that other that other saying right when i be, was a beginner uh mountains were mountains and rivers were rivers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and then i became more advanced mountains are not mountains and rivers are not rivers mm-hmm. and then finally i realized mountains are mountains and rivers are rivers <laughs> exactly yes, <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. that's uh, mm-hmm. yeah. that's that's one of these classic zen sayings yes uh-huh. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. um right. and and we sort of we laugh and, and this is this is just an observation but like the laughing is it seems to go deeper right what we mm-hmm. laugh at in the world mm-hmm. Uh, is is horrendous things and 
um, hilarious things in, in similar ways or at, at, um, at things that just seem to defy processing in some way, right? Or that, mm-hmm. or that, uh, or that just have to go through a different channel, right? Like the, the laughing is, is when something enters through a different input, you know, <laughs> which is, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, it's when it surprises you or something, right? Yeah, By how it gets mm-hmm. in. Or like, it, like it's, it's sort of a, um, a discontinuity, right? The, mm-hmm. the laughing is yeah. like humor uses this a lot of, of sort of setting expectations and then, and then flipping them deliberately. And so the audience doesn't know when the expectation is going to be flipped. So therefore surprise, but right, right. hilarious, hilarity can also come from like a, uh, who is it who said that it's not hard to be funny. All you have to do is tell the truth <laughs> that, right. that there's something like deeply mm-hmm. fundamentally discontinuous mm-hmm. about reality right. itself mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. can also yep. be funny. And so in, in talking about the, you know, just horrible, silly, evil things that can happen in the world, that's also funny and comedians mm-hmm. can, can go that route. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I don't know. Just another observation. You know, you know, cats are, cats are hilarious and it's precisely because they're so serious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Mm-hmm. They take what they do so seriously that it's just um. Come on, man, yeah. <laughs> lighten up. <laughs> I don't know. We've had a cat that I'm pretty sure she's just like perpetually stoned, and she's like that kind of demeanor, you know. And <laughs> just like she's sort of got that like that that sort of sleepy eyed expression, and and uh, just sort of always purring, you know. Just like whatever you do to her, it's like ah, oh, this is wonderful. I'm in bliss all the time. And it's like, man, I want to live like that, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, that take that. Cat is your guru, That's, right? Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, it's just... the idea of the connection though between realization and laughter—it uh, mm. seems real natural to me. I don't know if it is to everybody else in the in the world, but it seems to me that you know, laughing at a realization is—it's uh, a natural response, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You remember you you it, Stephen was actually in one of my Asian philosophy classes a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, maybe not that long ago. Yeah, a few years, yeah. <laughs> there was another guy there, Sean, uh, who was practicing Zen meditation. And I was trying to explain uh, the idea of sudden, the sudden experience of enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Uh, just not easy to explain, as you know. <laughs> and uh, Sean raised his hand and said, well, my teacher said, it's, it's just like uh, you get on an airplane and... You're in Baltimore. <laughs> With a loud slap, I started laughing. It's like that got through somehow. Mm-hmm. And so I'm standing in front of my class laughing for maybe five minutes straight, and they're looking, what the hell's wrong with this guy? <laughs> but that that's the kind of... It's like that. The Baltimore? Why Baltimore? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it slap- was San Francisco. I went. I, there was one of. Yeah. It was San Francisco. I think Seattle. it was San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> but somehow the unexpectedness of it mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. caught me in just the right way, and I, I obviously I can't explain what I realized, but I feel like. <laughs> I really- mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. There was some sort of like an alignment of all of the elements that just you know. Bam, and then mm-hmm. a thing mm-hmm. happened, and then just sort of, you, you were right. it yeah, like right. Basically, it was like something mm-hmm. crossed or passed through you in that like in thought space mm-hmm. or in reality space. Or like, yeah, yeah I, I think it was like there was this intellectual struggle going on, which I right. always have when I'm trying to teach about Buddhism, because mm-hmm. it's like trying to to you know dance about architecture, mm-hmm. Lord mm-hmm. right? right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but so the intellectual struggle sort of builds up this tension, and then this completely unintellectual 
smack upside the head. Mm -hmm, sort of mm -hmm. kicked in and derailed the whole thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the feeling of being derailed was the right thing somehow. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, right, right. Which exactly. would, it, it goes back to like the mental degaussing, right? The moo, mm -hmm. you know, you just yes. you're, you're in like right. I'm in this yes. framework and everything's sort of working and humming along, and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden a thing mm -hmm. comes like sideways out of the fifth dimension, and you're just like, <laughs> whoa, wait a minute. And, and, that's, and that's that's a lot of, about what uh, what koans are. Uh, yeah, yeah, are, are based on that Is, that sort of absurdity mm -hmm. that kind of hits you, right? And then you you realize um, you're your error in asking the question initially that it mm -hmm. makes no yeah. sense and then then yeah. you're then you're then you're okay yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> <For a> while <laughs> right right exactly well, well, yeah. Yeah. And, so, and then so you get confused again that's and then you need another koan is yeah. is sort of and this this kind of gets at a question i had is is that was in a way like that was a moment of satori that was a moment of enlightenment mm -hmm. but you like you you just it passed through you or you through it or like there was like an intersection and mm -hmm. But you're not like you're not yeah. perpetually in alignment with that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It just I didn't do anything with it because mm -hmm. I right. well I didn't know what to do with it, so it just sort of mm -hmm. came and went like a wave, you know? Right. And, and I'm thinking I want another wave. Like <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But is there what about attachment to those moments? Right, like it's sort of to be in yeah. to be. You can't go searching for those sorts of things, right? You you can only That's sort of. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. it's sort of you, you put you, you say, well, there are these certain it's like putting yourself in the right environment. Right. You can't mm -hmm. you can't tell a plant to grow. You can't like force it to grow a certain way. You can just sort of put everything there in place. And if enough of the right elements are there, the processes just sort of happen on their own. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it but it, it is kind of paradoxical. Right. Sometimes you, yeah. you can't get all of those elements to align or it's it's not that the same elements will sort of with with a good degree of certainty produce the same sort of things but mm -hmm. we keep koans around we keep sitting around we keep all these sorts of things and it's like well it's somewhere in here you know mm -hmm. <laughs> sort yeah. of, it's like the yeah. electron cloud right mm -hmm. you know the yeah, exactly. enlightenment is in here but it's like bouncing and then you're not really ever going to be able to you know <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. and you know this is another one of those things that they've known from the very beginning from the mm -hmm. very earliest meditation manuals uh, like um, uh, the Visuddhi Magga, the Path of Purification, is right. one of the very earliest meditation manuals, and it lists like 187 different kinds of meditation. And mm -hmm. you know, the guy who's your preceptor is supposed to figure out which one's going to be the best fit for you. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Uh, mm -hmm. This, I think mm -hmm. that like Zen takes this to the very limit. Right, the Roshi is the one who scopes you out and and sort of tries to keep you from getting off track, getting attached to this or that. Right, mm -hmm. right. Even, even getting attached to the enlightenment experience is, mm -hmm. is a trap. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's, that's why it's sort of important to have this person who's been there before mm -hmm. looking after you. You can't right. teach yourself right. meditation. Mm -hmm. That's true. Just like you can't do Freudian analysis on yourself. You know, you mm -hmm. can't because you... Right. Brief digression. <laughs> Brief digression on that. Um, have you? Are you familiar with the works of Slavoj Žižek? No. No. Though I think it is one of the coolest names in contemporary thought. Uh huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> There's one I still like better. Though. There's an analytic metaphysician named Zoltan Zabo. Whoa! So oh, that's very nice. He's still the winner. <laughs> oh my God! Well, he sounds like a magician. He does. <laughs> <laughs> I will make the uh, hippocampus disappear. <laughs> <laughs> no, Slavoj Žižek is a film critic 
slash psychotherapist, mm-hmm. um, Freudian psychotherapist, mm-hmm. um, who is we watched his his pervert's guide to the cinema which is a 2003 or 2002 mm-hmm. um i guess you could call it a documentary it's like basically him espousing his his three part two and a half hour long like analysis of a, a couple dozen or a few dozen mm-hmm. um american films well, mostly just, mostly, mostly hitchcock and mostly uh lynch yes those are his hitchcock two and absolutely favorite and and pulling out oh, like over our... <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and just like showing how all of them are are freudian mm-hmm. and and how they they have this this weird consistency and it just seems like for, we we were concerned that freudian philosophy has this propensity to to um, be applicable to everything, right? Like you can sort of, <laughs> you can just sort of shoehorn anything into this idea of id, ego, and superego, and yeah, repression. That's and, always be a warning sign, right? Because right. anything mm-hmm. that explains everything explains nothing. Right. So, so how does does Buddhism does Buddhism fall prey to that as well, right? Because you just sort of, but it doesn't purport to explain. Perhaps maybe that's right. the difference. Right, in the explaining business. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. and, you know, in the in the. Uh, or in the early years, there was this. Uh, it's impossible for people to resist the attempt to systematize and explain, and so there's, there's some of that going on. Right. Well, which is but one of the key all, insights all, of Buddhism, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of the suffering, right? Comes out of that the attachment mm-hmm. and the systematization and the framework. That's where my suffering the, comes yeah. from trying to analyze. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you do it for a living. <laughs> yeah, they pay me, so the yeah. suffering is diminished somewhat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, I... um, what I wanted to ask you another question, uh, uh, Doctor Webb, is um, uh, how you see, um, I guess, American uh, Buddhism, uh, like from from your perspective, knowing um, Theravada and Mahayana and all of that. Um, what mm. do you think is happening or has happened as uh, as the Dharma, as as Buddhism has has traveled to the to the U.S. Because to me, it seems sort of like a hybrid. Um, you know that there are there are some monasteries, but mostly, uh, you know, and I'm using the example that I know best, the Austin Zen Center. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there are some uh, some Zen priests there, but mostly it's a um, it's a lay uh, sangha, and we all have lives. We all have uh, lives outside of the of the monastery, and yet uh, many people uh, go there and meditate on a regular basis. And I and mm-hmm. you know to to me because that that was my introduction to Buddhism. I I sort of thought, oh well, that's that's how everyone does it. Mm-hmm. But then I keep hearing um, people from the from the Zen Center when they say, well, you know, when we went to Japan, they looked at us really weirdly. They said, <laughs> well, that's what what you guys are doing are like our grandparents. Uh, a version of uh, of Zen, like no no one actually sits zazen anymore. That's for the monks. That's yeah. uh, you know, like you you go to the temple for a funeral, and that's really you know the the monks do that. And like you guys do that, really, but you're not monks and you're not lay people. Like what what are well, you? What's going on? Yeah. yeah so so everyone uh, in Japan is a little bit confused when they when they see American Buddhists uh, um, uh, coming in. So I'm I'm wondering kind of how how, how you see that um, like is that that progression? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's a that's something that I've thought about an awful lot mm-hmm. <clears throat> because, you know, one of the things you see in the history of Buddhism is every time it goes somewhere new, it has to adapt to mm-hmm. a local mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, Zen, uh, or when Buddhism goes to China the first time, um, it tries to be Indian Theravada Buddhism. Mm-hmm. And the Confucian establishment says, 
that's crazy. We're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. The next time it comes, they they discover this Taoist stream in Chinese thought, and they mm-hmm. say, now this is where it's similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Chan is born, which becomes Zen, and uh, and you know when it goes to Tibet, right? It, it encounters local traditions there and becomes something different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a question that's always bothered me is, well, what is essential, right? What would be mm-hmm. crossing the line? What mm-hmm. would it? Mm-hmm. What would you have to? What do you absolutely have to keep, even when you're adapting? Mm-hmm. And I've started to decide that that is itself. Uh, that's one of my attachments. Right? That's what uh. I'm concerned about: the authentic and the real. And I want to mm-hmm. examine everything. You check your, you know, your membership card. Are you a real Buddhist or are you a Sears uh. Buddhist? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, when Buddhism comes to America, the two most uh, 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 successful strains of it are the sort of uh, Tibetan thing and Zen. Mm-hmm. And Tibetan, I think, is is attractive to people because it's sort of mystical and weird and has these sort of magic and mm-hmm. uh, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And Zen is is attractive because it's so straightforward. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. you can do it now. You don't have to go get a degree or do a catechism class. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. Right. You can, right. You can walk in a door, sit down, mm-hmm. and yeah, begin. You know, mm-hmm. and that's that's a very American and, thing. Like, yeah. give, give it to me now. Yeah, instant gratification. Right. Well, and, but it, but, but Buddhism sold to Americans now as as a as a way to, uh, you know, it used to be that Buddhism would sell itself to people as a way to get a better rebirth first, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you get yourself into a good life and a good situation, then you can start trying to be enlightened. Mm-hmm. But now it's sold to Americans as as you know. Here's a technique you can use to fix your mind, which is all busted up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and don't worry about reincarnation or <laughs> any yeah, of that right. stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the reasons I think it looks weird to the Asians. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, uh, uh, a doctoral student in theater I was working with. She was from Thailand. Mm-hmm. And we were, I was helping her with her dissertation because she was writing a play based on Buddhist themes and Mm-hmm. Uh, so she took my Asian philosophy class, and she had never heard any of the things that I had said about Buddhism, because I'm talking the philosophy stuff, the Abhidhamma and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, Buddhism for me is every couple of weeks you go to the temple and you burn some incense. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, it comes it comes both ways that uh, you know. Uh, so what's happening? I think there is a distinctive American Buddhism developing now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way it always does when it goes somewhere new, it d- adapts to local conditions. And like like people are, uh, stop me if I start babbling too much. Of course, <laughs> not. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> um, a lot of people say, "Look, I can't be a Buddhist because I can't believe in karma and reincarnation." Mm-hmm. And sure enough, the earliest scriptures, when they asked the Buddha, what's right view? And he says, well, here's a good example. You have to believe in karma and reincarnation. Mm-hmm. And so people like me say, sorry, deal breaker, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. But then it turns out that there's there's this very high-level Thai monk, forest monk, in Theravada tradition, teaching people, well, what rebirth really means is at certain times in your life, you come to a realization and you're a new person after that. 
you don't have to believe in all that, uh, you know, dying and being born somewhere else kind of thing. That's mm -hmm. a metaphor. So, you know, even these guys that are sort of deeply in the tradition can mm -hmm. see mm -hmm. there's ways of adapting to uh, modern sensibilities. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is one of the most fascinating f aspects of, of Buddhism, or really of any religion, is, or, I mean, even systems of thought in general um to to be very reductionist about it like you know to see patterns persisting across space-time right that yeah. that buddhism though we though the name has persisted across space-time is sort of a loosely interconnected structure but one of the but its ability to adapt its ability to change in that way is the thing that keeps it across time um is the thing that keeps it able to just sort of almost almost parasitically go from go through the human mind go through the universe in the same way that like a you know <laughs> i'm trying to think of like energy or light you know or some some other some other pattern in the universe just persists in virtue of its adaptability right um but yeah. that um it it is the very the very particularity is it is the very the very distinction of it at any given point in time that actually weakens its ability to continue doing that right so that's that's how it sort of resists these ideas of uh, attachment and of distinction and of complication right that those are those are actually anathema to or, or those are actually in opposition to its ability to persist right the idea itself and and if you'll notice like the even religions of of a western sort um that have a little bit more inclusiveness you know unitarianism in a way judaism um but like mm -hmm. let's say evangelical christianity or even even like the the lighter forms of christianity also have this ability to persist in the face of more dogmatic religions such as catholicism that you know require a rigidity and are not able to adapt to the environment around them um but that potentially over all of them buddhism in its in virtue of its simplicity is able to persist across a very very wide spectrum of changes in the world yeah that that's that's a nice angle on it i hadn't thought of it that way that it um it's it's almost like um you know, people always worry about the reincarnation thing because they think, yeah. well, "Look, if I have, if I have no permanent self, then what is it that's being reborn?" Ha! Huh? Right. <laughs> and and the answer is, well, yeah, you don't have a permanent self. Is nevertheless, that's your rebirth, and the reason is there's continuity with you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that sort of makes this this idea that rebirth could be a metaphor make more sense too because mm. the only the only connection between me and the little nine pound screaming pink thing from 56 years ago <laughs> is a causal continuity right, right. we don't have any anything in common mm -hmm. uh except the continuity uh, and so it's like the history of buddhism is the is like the history of a person in the same way <laughs> <can be hard. laughs> An intellectual entity. <laughs> yeah, maybe that stuff that was happening in in you know the northeastern Indian subcontinent in 400 BC isn't anything like what's going on in Tokyo now, or 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 California, or or Lhasa, or any place else. Um, but what makes it Buddhism is that it owes its existence to the causal 
history mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that started mm-hmm. back there. Right? Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. I mean, I, I, I don't think that could be a complete answer. Well, um, can there be any complete answers? Um, there must be. I'm committed to this. No. <laughs> <laughs> Moo! <Yeah. laughs> Want to trot it out whenever we start going there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm a little bit unable I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed that i i tried to find that particular day in my notes for asian philosophy and i'm just i'm not i know i have it written down somewhere that that happens but i can't yeah. i can't find it with any of the keywords that we were bringing up so maybe it was baltimore i don't know i haven't i haven't tried that yet um but yeah i'm just noticing my attachment to mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. like being able to, to jump back you know time travel back in the continuity mm-hmm. i mean it's it's funny to me a little bit that just to make a little bit of a digression that um in this day and age where we maybe more than ever before more so than ever before in our existence do we have the ability to precisely record everything that is mm-hmm. occurring and the the evolutions of all of these thoughts at a granularity that we have never been able to before and and persist that pattern through time in a way that we've never been able to before and yet we are the, the one of the most ephemeral cultures ever right at the, and simultaneously we mm-hmm. we highly value things like snapchat you know these sort of um you know here here and now and gone in five seconds uh type of things and um and yet we also are are struggling for like privacy and and jobs and these sort of there's there's attachments to diametrically opposed ideas mm-hmm. you know all around us which maybe has always been the case but mm-hmm. um, that sounds very human but that we we seem to live in a world where those like the poles are so much far so far opposite like the extremes mm-hmm. are so much farther apart than they've ever been before um, but perhaps that that too is is a, a relative thing right <laughs> to to a society of, of of a million people those extremes matter right but to a society of yeah. seven billion they matter in a different way yeah sure. yeah. Mm. yeah it's sort of strange mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of the things that makes uh human beings so comic right? yeah <laughs> Is that they get deeply committed to things that are not even coherent or consistent with one <laughs> right. another. Mm-hmm. We are deeply like, irrational yeah. things. Yeah. One of the things I discovered about myself is, you know, if I look back at the various things I'm interested in, they have something in common, which is I don't want anything to be lost. Hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. I want archaeology to recover absolutely everything about the past, and I, you know, I want to know how language began. I want. I want the, the whole history to be reconstructed, and, and that's ridiculous. That's impossible. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. yes. Like Make a map that's absolutely faithful to all the details of a place would be to recreate the place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. Ooh, exactly. where does that come from? I've seen that elsewhere. I forget where I stole oh, that from. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The serial number's worn off. I'm going to claim it as mine. Okay. <laughs> You know that's that's a, it's sort of a deeply irrational thing, but it drives a lot of my intellectual pursuits. That, right. Uh, mm-hmm. 
The, well, this is um, this is perhaps one of one of the components of the fourfold noble truth or the four noble truths or whatever um, that the very thing which allows us to delight and create and construct in the world is attachment itself, which mm-hmm. carries along with mm-hmm. it the capability to be disappointed and to hate and to you know right. Right. to to be crushed and such and so forth. Um, yeah, in a sense, you can't have one without the other. You cannot have that they uh-huh. that uh-huh. it's amplitude, right? And it's that the non-attachment is just sort of an evening out of everything of of a of a dampening process right um but not necessarily uh by valuing the extreme at any given moment like if if the world is all about hate we just need more love right we need such intense yeah. love it's it's uh yeah. to bring it back to Slavoj Žižek there's that moment in the great dictator where Charlie Chaplin is mistaken for the dictator comes up and gives this grand speech you know in in sort of opposition to the, these ideas of war and he says we need we need compassion we need love you know democracies of the world unite and then there's that same he he has that like break moment where he's like oh my god i'm doing the same thing as <laughs> the dictator but just the content is is different mm-hmm. um, but there, there's some sort of similarity in that intensity of passion and that intensity of of control that is as as damning as it is um empowering right uh so wow, look at that! We we just shoehorned that same movie that was shoehorned into Freudian Freudianism into Buddhism. <laughs> a <Yeah. laughs> mm-hmm. everything's take connected to everything else. <laughs> and interdependent. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is the um? What is the poly or this uh for the interdependence or the co- independent co arising interdependent? Patichi Samupada. Patichi Samupada. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Patichi Samupada. <laughs> I have that written down somewhere in a very poor transliteration. I'm, I'm sure of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I, I guess we, we've gone for a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, we have. I, I, will, I don't want to you know, get attached to you know, the, the continuation or you know, feel like we're squeezing blood right. from it, a stone or whatever. It must be one hour long. Right, right. <laughs> Um, but I know Sebastian has a uh, has a house meeting to get to, and mm-hmm. and uh, we've got to pick a title and a post show song and all those other things that happen in the in the liminal space between episodes oh, that, that you people never get to hear, uh-huh. or maybe will someday when I uh, release all of that for no apparent reason. Um, so we could do a whole show about liminal spaces sometime. Do what? We could do a whole show sometime about the liminal spaces. Mm. I think Is that not awesome. what we've been doing today? <laughs> Mm. <laughs> but yes oh and and we really i really want to get because there's there's a whole we have not said the the p word today at all the the whole po- post-structural post-modern thing and how that might relate <laughs> that, to buddhism mm, mm-hmm. um i really want to get your thoughts on that sometime whether mm-hmm. postmodernism is just the western incarnation of buddhism um mm. which we might have actually brought up awesome. yeah i i don't know <laughs> we'll leave that question here's an idea <laughs> Yeah. yeah, let's see. Idea Channel can just do it. They they're much better at it, and they have better graphics. Um, I have the Bodhisattva show you here. Oh really? Oh oh, oh wow. What is his or her name? Her name is Pickleseed. Pickleseed. <laughs> and this one here is Perfect Tommy. Oh, <laughs> these cats are adorable. Oh, Perfect they Tommy are, from um, which is perhaps a truism. <laughs> uh, Buckaroo Banzai. 
on his face sometimes that kind of baffled look that he <laughs> had perfect Mm -hmm. Uh, well I guess we'll go ahead and wrap things up Um, Dr. Webb do you still have anything online that people could find or follow or read or laugh at or laugh Uh, with all of the above Uh, (laughs) did you finish your book the book that that you started yes I did finish it and Springer Press has been sitting on it for a year and a half now Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, they promised me that this month I will get the final word and uh, that just and makes me no feel really, care. really young, I suppose. I, I'm like, I was still in college when the the book started and was in the class that was sort of fleshing oh, out yeah. the ideas of it. So, it was, it was almost finished for like six years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling the dean it was almost finished. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it depends how you define finished, right? Yeah. Yeah, All that right. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, well, if if it eventually do do you know if it's like pending <laughs> any more so than before? <laughs> uh, well, actually, what happened was uh, they wanted it to be the first volume of a new series. Okay. In philosophy of religion, and it turned out the manuscript I submitted was too short to be in that <laughs> because that's how I am. I, uh-huh. I write, first. Uh, and they said, "Look, uh, you can." If you want to put, add more material, stretch it out, but it needs to be about three times as long. Wow. wow. <laughs> said, I can stretch it, but I can't stretch it that far without breaking it. So oh. they said, okay, well, we have another series called Springer Briefs, and maybe we can publish it in that series, but we have to resubmit for the whole evaluation Ooh. process. Mm. And, and then they got one reviewer's report back that was positive, and they're waiting for the second one. Yada, yada, yeah, yada. But I don't know. <laughs> just just put it up online somewhere. Just self-publish. I yeah. do that. You know, <laughs> publish DRM free. Full professor, I don't need this stuff anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, is that something that's happened since? Or oh, yeah, yeah, happened uh, officially in March. Yay! Got. Wow. Uh, on the strength of this manuscript being accepted for publication. So. Oh, well, congratulations. It's <laughs> actually got published now. Yeah. <laughs> True. Well, you know, it exists where it counts, right? So, yeah. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, well, we'll direct people to, I guess, your department website at the, the Texas Tech Department of Philosophy, right? Yeah, that'll work. Yeah. That'll work. No. Did you? Does it still have? I, I I could probably answer this by just looking it up on one of my many interconnected web devices. <laughs> um, but does it still have the old photo of you uh, in a Shakespearean performance of some sort? It does. Yes. Yay. The one in Ephesus, uh, standing next to the goddess of of uh, knowledge, mm-hmm. who had no head, which I think is the coolest thing. <laughs> 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 you must have signed that portion. <laughs> Probably some Roman knocked it off and yeah, took it sure. home. So. Something like that. <laughs> um, and then Sebastian, other than stuff you do around Austin, is there any way that people can follow you? No, not at all. Not at all. No, you really don't have... No, you don't, no. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on the show regardless. Oh, sure. Uh, did you have any, any final thoughts or questions or anything? I, I'm sorry I co-opted that. No, no. Um, uh, I think my final thought would be moo. Moo. If anything. Yeah. Moo, indeed. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, 
uh, thank you all both for, for coming on the show. Mm-hmm. This has been thank you, Steven. a very enjoyable experience, probably mostly, be, and uh, let's say partially because of the caffeine. It was a <laughs> it was a necessary but not a sufficient condition, and uh, both of y'all necessary conditions have a beautiful I, time. Necessary yeah. sufficient conditions. I have never been so proud. That's my boy. Oh, <laughs> I, it's it's in here. It's it's deep in here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, they weren't so hard after, you know, the hundredth time that, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, uh, feel free to, I'll put all the links to relevant things in the show notes and, uh, thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time on Bad Philosophy. Moo! <laughs> Moo! Moo! <laughs> Oh yes, that's right. I I, I said that, didn't I? You did. Oh, oh yeah. I don't know if I if I really meant it. Oh, but okay. okay. Well, well uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As I understand it, the Bad Philosophy podcast is not bound by either truth or sincerity. No, right, so, right. so that's good. De- definitely, <laughs> definitely is not. Uh, <laughs> Badphilosophy.com Wonder what I said.